You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Phillips Levin of the 1012 Podcast here. If you've been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I. Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today. Folks, we had real college football on Saturday, and I don't care if it was FCS and FCS. We had real college football on Saturday. This coming Saturday, we have real college football. We have FBS college football. In two weeks, we have Big 12 college football. It's it's all happening. It's all happening, and I am so excited. I am so excited. And to prepare for the week of the Big 12 start of the season, we got to make sure we knock out all of our season previews. So, to make sure that gets done, we have three left. Texas, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. So, we're going to get them all out this week. 
They're all recorded. They're all in the can. It's no like tease. Like we're going to do three episodes this week. And then we get two, all three episodes this week. Today, Wednesday, probably on Friday. It'll go up this week. With three episodes, very excited. We're going to get all of our season previews wrapped up this week. So we can, we can just focus on the start of the season next week on Monday on Labor Day. Okay. Very, so thoroughly excited for college football. It's the best. It's so good. I'm ready. So make sure before the season starts, do a couple things. One, follow us on Twitter at 1012podcast, D-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Follow us on the Instagram, 1012pod, T-E-N-1-2-P-O-D. We'll have our Instagram lives every Wednesday like we normally do, Wednesday nights, 7.30 Central Time. How have you listened to the show? Leave us a rating and review. Five stars, please. It helps other people find the show. Reviews are great. We appreciate them. We will read them on air. On air. On the pod? Yeah, pod. Let's go with pod, not air. And before we get to today's Texas preview with Gerald Goodrich, I am so excited for the start of college football because it means I have my usual Saturday morning tradition. We got my daughter. We have breakfast. I make a cup of coffee. Put a little something in it. Then we kick back and watch <laughs> actually Premier League and then a little bit of college football game day. But I'm going to watch Premier League, especially if Man City gets messy. Mm-hmm. But this year, when I sit down and enjoy my cup of coffee while my daughter eats her cereal, I'm going to enjoy a cup of Lazy Fair coffee. Ethically sourced coffee beans from all over the world, roasted right in the heart of Big 12 country in Dallas-Fort Worth. They've got a variety of great flavors, including dark and light roasts. My favorite right now, the Cafecto Cubano. Great blend. Includes some burnt sugar, some dried fig. It's very, very rich. It is so tasty. It is what I'm having every Saturday morning. It's what I'm having during the weekends right now. I'm going to take it back to work. Because even my coworkers like Lazy Fair Coffee. We're coffee snobs. I really like Lazy Fair Coffee. I think you will too. So do me a favor. Visit LazyFairCoffee.com. L-A-Z-Y-F-A-I-R Coffee. At checkout. Enter the promo code 1012. T-E-N-1-2. And get 10% off your order. Also, if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you can get free delivery. I love this stuff. I think you will. I want you to try it. Enjoy a little discount. Okay, so visit LazyFairCoffee.com. Don't forget the promo code 1012. Get your order in so that you, like me, can be sitting down on Saturday morning, watching college football, enjoying a fantastic cup of Lazy Fair Coffee. All right, we are working on wrapping up our season previews before the season kicks off. Thank goodness for that delay start of the season. So now we actually have time to get through everyone without having to do like a different season preview each day. But here we are on this Monday. Very excited. My good friend, Gerald Goodridge on the show so we can talk some Texas Longhorns. Gerald, welcome back to the show, bud. I'm glad to be here. You know, Phil, I was starting to think you didn't like me, but that's okay. I'm glad to be here. You know, we, we saved Texas for later in our in our process because you know higher ranked uh higher projected finish Uh, i know you like myself are a busy man with a very small child so i didn't want to i didn't want to i wanted to see if i could get far enough down the line that we both might be have the mental capacity to do a good job with this but i think at a certain point you just kind of gotta i mean rip off the band-aid and go you just got to go with it. And you could have also gone with like, Texas was the last week of the schedule. And so we did it in that order too. Like I'd have, I'd have let you get away with that one too, Philip. Well, you know, I don't. Well, I'll ask you the schedule for who? 
Initially, wasn't it the last game of the year? Did I get that for wrong? Oklahoma State. Yeah, for Oklahoma State. Did, yeah, for OSU. Wait, do you do you know this is the ten twelve podcast, right? <laughs> Baby brain, man. I'm not. It, it's a real thing. I'm not it's a real this thing. Out. This is so no, good. I'm not no. going to do it. My five week old won't let us put him down. So I'm just, I'm just here, man. <laughs> our our uh, our five week old has she's six weeks old Monday. I don't even know. It doesn't matter. Like it's the second kid. Doesn't matter. Uh, she has reflux, acid reflux, oh. which is tons of fun. So there's throughout the day crying that you absolutely can't do anything about because the best meds still take up to like three weeks to fully kick in and, and make it stop. So so much fun. We're on week day nine of it. So yeah. Okay. Uh, enough about. That. Babies so for everybody, OSU. yeah, yeah. So enough about that. Let's talk Texas. Let's talk Let's about it. Texas. Okay. So let me just talk with the about the subjects that I'm most interested in. To start off with, and right. that would be the fact that Tom Herman basically had to start from scratch with his his coaching staff in a you only get to break this emergency bottle one time to save your your coaching job kind of move, and he decided to do it now. Now we can talk about what temperature his seat is in a minute, but I want to talk about his choice of offensive coordinator because I found it very interesting from both sides. Um, I found it interesting from Tom Herman. A, it's not shocking to see him go grab a guy who spent a year at Ohio State, um, but it's also a guy in, in Mike Yersich who he is familiar familiar with. Mike Yersich was at Oklahoma State for uh, six seasons. That sounds right. I think it was six seasons. I should know this, but again, Small children. Yeah. Um, guy is very familiar with. Guy who, who uh, beat him a few times there on the field with his offensive play calling. A guy who I understand that Oklahoma State fans are all like, brah, Mike Gersich. And I'm like, he's not. He's actually pretty good. He did, he did a good job. Um, but it is an intriguing hire from the standpoint of Tom Herman going in that direction, saying he's going to give him the opposite. And for Mike Gersich to go from – Oklahoma State, where Mike Gundry is considered a guy who kind of controls the offense, to go one season at Ohio State to taking the job at Texas, which is a big job. It's a good step, you know, it's a good job to take and then potentially move on to a head coaching job, which is what he wants. But to go to a head coach who also likes to control the offense, which means he's not, even though Herman says he's going to give him the reins, we'll see if that happens. So I'm curious from from you, what are your thoughts on the Yersich hire and what are you hearing as far as how things are going with him and, and, and getting his offense installed? So from Herman and Yersich, um, and you, one, you could tell this is like the company line to toe because they both said it with the same inflection uh, in different pressers is that uh, we found out in the job interview process that we're cut from the same cloth. Both said basically that same sentence in there. Uh, Yersich said it in his introductory presser and Herman said it in his post post scrimmage presser this uh like this i guess after the second scrimmage so a couple couple days ago um but i think based on things that tom herman has said in the off season and kind of throughout the the process of finding a new offensive coordinator i am hopeful that he's going to have hands off on the offense as much as he can simply because he has said i realize that i'm a worse head coach when my when my mind is on the offense because I'm not able to connect with the defensive coordinator and make decisions because I'm on the offensive channel on the headset. So I'm not able to sw- able to switch over and talk about quick changes on defense. I'm not able to make those macro decisions that I need to. And so will that show up on Saturdays when, you know, the pressure's tight? I don't know. People 
tend to revert back to sometimes what's comfortable for them in times of crisis. But Tom Herman saying all the right things, Mike Yurisich is saying all the right things about, uh, you know, wanting to keep things not not the same, but wanting to use verbiage and terminology that the team is already familiar with to implement his system. So that is helpful because, you know, learning a new offense is learning a new language. So as much as, you know, it's, it's instead of going from French to or Spanish to English, you're going from Spanish to Italian, right? Where it's kind of, where it's they're, they're words that are the same. So I think that is helpful. Uh, I mean, Ellinger seems to be in love with it. Now, granted, Ellinger has said that about every coach he's ever had. So you, you can, other conversations about that but uh, I, I'm if you can if 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 there's more to it than just here's what the SIDs told us to say then I think there is there's a, there are good signs pointing for the gelling of this offense so I, I, forgive me and I'm curious if you know it always feels like Herman his reputation is built off of being an offensive guy how much did he control the offense at Houston and how much was it actually Major Applewhite because to me, like, yes, Major Applewhite was the offensive coordinator, but it still felt like Tom Harmon was in charge of the offense, and that's what had made them successful, and that's what got him the job at Texas. And so there was the idea of him giving up controls of the offense because that's going to make him a better head coach. Wouldn't you argue he was a better head coach when he was running the offense than when he wasn't? Yes and no, because I think that um, – I think that for – or like you didn't see a ton of change or drop off when Herman left and major Applewhite took over, at least offensively there were Houston had other problems because major's kind of just a jerk. And that's why not a lot of people want to work with him. But um, I think because you didn't, I, I think and major has been an offensive coordinator, at a lot of big schools. And so I think if you got the cachet to earn Herman's trust, he's going to take your hands off. And that, I think that was really the thing is that he let, Tim Beck run the offense until Tim Beck proved he couldn't. And so I think that's the same thing that happened with major Applewhite is he let him, he's going to let you, he let him run the offense until he proved he couldn't. And I don't think that ever happened. And so I think that'll happen with like your as well as I think he's going to let him run the offense until he proves otherwise. And, and again, I don't think Herman is a guy who wants to micromanage. I don't think he's a guy who wants to have to run the offense. He knows that he's much better on Saturdays if he can be the CEO and not the one elbows deep calling plays. Yeah. And look, I, I've said this on your show. I'm a Michael Yersich fan. As I like the time what he did at Oklahoma State. I think he's a very creative guy. He created a running game out of nothing back in uh, in 2015. Um, he's not the best in game adjuster, honestly. He, he think he sticks to the plan a little bit too much. Um, and there's always been questions with Gundy: how much of it was Yersich and how much of it was Gundy being stubborn and overly conservative. So you're never quite sure. But I do think Yersich is a good offensive coordinator, and I do think that he's going to have a positive impact on Ellinger this season. You could see an Ellinger that doesn't isn't required the force to run the ball nearly as much and is actually able to throw the ball downfield, which would be really good and help open up the Texas offense. I know that Ellinger is stating the normal things that he's going to state all the time because he's Sam Ellinger. But, I mean, realistically, what do we know about the relationship he's been able to build with the Urshans thus far? So this is... I, Sam. I think Sam's a guy that could gel with anybody, but I really think... Um, Sam has a goal of being an NFL quarterback. And I think he realizes that Mike Yersich is a guy that can do that. I think he saw what Mike Yersich did with Justin Fields, who was known as a run first quarterback, who was an incredible passing quarterback for one season at Ohio state when Mike Yersich was his quarterback's coach. And so I think Sam, even if it's self-serving, I think Sam is going to be 
right in Yurcich's hip pocket. He's going to be a guy who wants to learn and soak up as much as he possibly can from Mike Yurcich. And I think you see it in the way Sam has changed his body from season to season. He came, you know, he, he finished last year weighing, I think it was 230. And I think he reported a camp at like 223, which seven pounds isn't that much of a difference, except when you, when you look at him and he looks less bulky. He looks like less of the battering Ram Sam from his sophomore year. And he looks more like a guy who's going to be a pass first quarterback. And I think that's the thing that excites a lot of Texas fans because I mean, what makes Sam Ellinger great is his will to get the job done. But putting his body on the line to do that, especially when you've got when you're backed up by three quarterbacks that really haven't had like again, Casey Thompson has had college snaps, but nothing of a crucial time. And then two guys who are true freshmen, like you don't want Sam putting his body on the line like he used to. He can't go out with a concussion. He can't go out with the shoulder because I think Casey Thompson is good. I think Hudson Card is going to be really, really good, but I don't think they're going to be really good or at least better than Sam Ellinger in 2020. So let's talk about defense. We can come back to the offense in a minute. I really want to talk about Chris Ash. Now, I was one of the people when, when the news came that Todd Orlando was fired, I was a little shocked um, because to me, it wasn't necessarily like, how can you blame him for the defense being beat up last season and getting so injured? Like, I, I think that to me attributed more to Texas defensive struggles last year than just Todd Orlando's play calling. That is that a fair estimate? Yeah, I think the, the four worst defensive games Texas had were like right in the middle of the season. It happened to be the TCU, Ohio State, or Oklahoma State. Uh, kind of that, that chunk in the middle where like they had four guys that set their career records against the Texas defense. Uh, but yeah, they were all injured. They were, they were playing guys that didn't start the season on the 2D. Right. So, but then the more I have listened to podcasts and listened to people talk, people mention things, it, it sounds more like the real reason um, that Todd Orlando was relieved was that the injuries revealed something to Tom Herman that he may not have been aware of going up and, and playing LSU, for instance, um, and seeing these young freshmen and, and redshirt freshmen be so successful for, for LSU and these other top teams. Meanwhile, the defensive stars that Texas were bringing in weren't developing seemingly as quickly as the defensive stars, other players. And so to me, the injuries almost brought to light the issue of Todd Orlando and the defense of not developing young guys quick enough to be able to step in and seemingly in theory, the younger, more talented guys that you brought in, not being able to more quickly usurp the guys who were older, but maybe not as talented. That is what I, I have I've come, or at least that has been, have been told a few times is, is that what you guys kind of hear as far as why this decision was made? So I think there, there are a couple of different things. And I think the development thing is, is definitely there to be. And I think that's why you saw not only did they recycle the defensive coordinator, but they recycled most, if not all. I think Oscar Giles may be the only defensive coach that's still around. And that's because Oscar Giles is one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. So like that guy, Texas, if you look at players that are playing in the NFL right now, it's a lot of defensive linemen for Texas. So uh, obviously Oscar Giles is doing his job, but I think the development is less on the defensive coordinator and more on the position coaches. So I think that's why you see, again, 60% of that, that coaching staff was recycled. But I think the, the, the thing with, with Todd Orlando is one, like it's hard to say that it was just the injuries when Texas in 2018. So the two worst statistical defensive seasons in Texas history were 2018 and 2019. Now, granted in 2018, they played two extra games then they played in, in, so they had the Big 12 championship and a bowl game. So there's an extra thousand yards, right? You play OU and you play Georgia. So there's an extra thousand yards on top, on top of that. But 
again, 2018-20, the two worst statistical seasons defensively were those two years. So it's it's you can't really say that it was just the injuries because, well, you just kind of sucked for two years straight. But I think the thing that the – I think he started seeing it in the LSU game and that, that third, that third down conversion that Joe Burrow had um, is that Texas did with, with the scheme that they were running, Texas had to use defensive backs to make plays on the quarterback. And when you've got top tier quarterbacks that you're playing week in and week out, they're going to beat you. Joe Burrow did that. You saw Kyler Murray did it in the big 12 championship two years ago. Like, you see that Spencer Sanders did it on a couple of plays. Like when, when your defensive lineman, and I think that was like Texas has brought in some of the best defensive linemen I've seen probably in the last five or seven years in these last couple of classes. And they were using these supremely talented defenders to just be space eaters and to then let linebackers and defensive backs make the plays. Well, when you don't have Malik Jefferson as a linebacker, those things don't work out as well. And so that I think is the deficiency that was exposed by a lot of the injuries is that I'm relying on a, on a red shirt freshman safety to blitz from nine yards out to try to get Joe Burrow to throw this ball awkwardly. Right. And that's what it exposed. And so I think that to me is, is why they made the change. And so now uh, Chris Ash is going to be playing more of a, let's let these defensive linemen flash and let these defensive linemen be let Joseph Osta be one of the best pass rushers in the country uh, and, and do what he does best. So, well, A, I mean, you, you can't hold it too much against them for letting Joe Burrow do to Texas what Joe Burrow did to literally everybody, everybody all season long. Um, so with Chris Ash, you know, the, the reason that for the longest time I was really down on Texas going into the offseason was if you're replacing that many guys and then you have a, a pandemic hit, that is not a recipe for success, right? But... You bring in a guy in, in Yurisich who I think will benefit your quarterback, who's your most important and and arguably not just most important, but best piece on the offense because of, of his knowledge and how long he's been there. When you bring a defensive coordinator who, from what I, correct me if I'm wrong here, will be able to simplify the defense, make it significantly less complicated. And in a season like this, if you're going to replace your defensive coordinator and change defenses, I'm not sure you could do a better thing than bring a guy in who's going to not only bring a less complicated defense, it's just going to let your talent play. But if he's going to emphasize that talent, like that should make for a fairly easy transition and change defense at a time when that's exactly the kind of thing you need when you have so little preparation time and planning time in a season going to this. So like, I almost think this has almost worked out for Texas in the decision process of choosing Chris Ash, because he, it won't be as big of a speed bump if it were, let's say we were switching from Chris Ash to say top back to Todd Orlando. Yeah. And, and I think with, I think, and Tom Herman said this after his second scrimmage, like they've been able to, because of the extended, like, offseason having to push the first game back a week they've been able to slow things down and, and install things and I mean still installing a new offense and a new defense in fall practice sucks but I think the other thing about the Chris Ash system that I think is going to benefit Texas is that the way that the defense is built it's going to hide Texas biggest deficiency which is linebackers defensively Texas linebackers not that they don't have talent but they're just guys that don't have a ton of don't have a ton of, uh, of, of snaps under their belt but Texas's two most talented groups defensively are defensive line and secondary. And that's where Chris Ash shines. He said in his introductory press conference 
defense, that if we want to build a championship defense, we're building it on the other defensive line. And then Chris Ash is a safeties coach. And Jay Valai is a guy who played for Chris Ash as a cornerback and is a guy who can, who has a history of skill development at the, those spots. And so I think the Ash system is one, like you said, simpler and just put athletes in position to make plays. But I think with what Texas has, it's going to, I think the, the, the front third and the back third are hopefully going to be able to mask a little bit of the deficiency in the middle third. So I want to head back to the offense for a minute. You know, the, the biggest issue to me on offense last season for Texas was just the fact that they literally had like no running backs. I mean, you, you had a converted former quarterback trying to play running back and then, and they, they made something out of essentially nothing. And it, and it was, it was fine. It worked. I wouldn't want to do it again, but it worked for one season. Um, I've been hearing a lot of good things about Texas and, and the running game so far. So what what are you hearing as far as what are the names we need to know? Who's going to be the guy carrying the rock the most? And, and how much better should Texas's run game be this year, which is going to take a huge load off of Sam Allinger's legs? So you talked about the converted quarterback, and Roshan made the full choice this offseason just play running back. And a lot of the reports out of camp is that, he has been the best running back in camp by far. Um, and, and which is saying a lot because Texas got the best running back in the country that would be starting for probably 20 to 30% of the teams that are currently playing football. Um, and he, he's been playing like the thing that I think people like about Roshan is that he is, and this is, this is going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but it's not because he's so new to the position, he doesn't have the bad habits that a lot of running backs have where I'm trying to make an extra cut to make a thing. It's just, nope, I see space, I make a cut, I put my body in space, and then I hit whatever is in my way as hard as possible. He injured a linebacker in the scrimmage because he hit him so hard. Like, there's a linebacker that is banged up because Roshan was just like, I'm going to put my body into this, and it's a freaking scrimmage. Um, and so he's turned into, like, a really good, like, one cut and go guy. He was averaging like damn near six yards a carry last year. And so uh, he's a guy who's really, and, and it looks like he might be, uh, I think you'll probably see, I think you'll probably see Keontae Ingram hold the number one spot just uh, for roster management purposes, even because uh, you don't want to make that guy mad because you've only got four scholarship running backs on the roster currently. Um, <laughs> Cause Texas just picked up a grad transfer of the number one, running back in, the, in division two, they picked that up on Wednesday night. Uh, so that's a, that's a new addition to the room, but you know, I think Keontae is a guy, he just hasn't been healthy. And I think he's still a little banged up. He has, I think a groin issue that's been nagging him, but even last year playing banged up, he averaged, I think five, three, a, a carry and had, had like 800, 800 yards and change. So, um, you know, Tom Herman said it in his, in his, in a press conference that we could win a lot of games with any of the three guys we have. Uh, now there's only three guys. There are only three guys at the time. Now there's four, which is again a load off, but not not much. But I think the 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 one to watch is where does Bijan Robinson fit into this scheme? Um, because he was the first running back you heard Tom Herman talking about in fall camp, where he just he looks like he looks like a dude. He looks like a guy. He's, he he described him as 18 going on 24, uh, both <laughs> physically and like mentally and emotionally, and so. Um, that's a guy who I think maybe probably the best receiver of the three, which is going to be a big deal, I think, in Yursich's offense. So you could see him. He's not going to be a three-down running back. He's going to be a guy who comes in for packages because I think the biggest thing and kind of the most understated thing when you talk about running backs making the leap is pass protection and playing 
Arizona prep league is not going to prepare you for pass protection in the big 12. So I I think that's probably the area where he comes off the field and and Roshan probably comes on. I think Roshan's probably the best of the three uh, blocking wise. I think, uh, not Roshan. Keontae is probably the best in three blocking wise because Roshan hasn't really had to do it a ton. Uh, but again, we will uh, be seeing now that he has a full offseason as a running back. But I think you'll see a lot of committee with Keontae Ingram and Roshan Johnson. And I think you'll probably see Bijan play sparingly, but I think you'll see um, you'll see him used in some specific packages. Nagging groin. That's just a t- that, I thought those are two words you should never have to have put it's together. The worst band in history. <laughs> You know, I bet if I Google nagging groin, there is a punk band Don't somewhere that. from the night. Don't Google that, Philip. Don't do it. Your wife's <laughs> going to ask you all sorts of weird questions. She doesn't look at my computer. Um, okay, so let me just like personal side topic here for a second. For two straight years, I'm the idiot who keeps picking Caden Stearns to be defensive player of the year because I might be the biggest like Caden Stearns fan. I'm still annoyed that he picked Texas over Oklahoma State. Let me just... Let me just state that right now that it irritates me to no end to this day. And I know I need to like get over it, but no, hold, hold bridges, Philip. Let, <laughs> drink that poison. Do it. Great um, for your soul. Obviously got beat up a lot last year. Now he, he, he returns. I'm very excited to see what he's going to do in his junior year, but I'm, what are you hearing about his health and, and just overall, what is the secondary looking like for Texas this season? So, the secondary, we'll start, I guess we'll start with Caden Stearns because that's how you asked the question. So I'll answer the question that you asked me it. Thank uh, you. Like a good guess. Uh, we, I haven't heard anything negative about Caden Stearns' health, uh, but we, again, he seems to, the, th- this is going to sound dumb, but I think Caden Stearns plays too hard. And I think that's why he gets hurt. That's not, it's not and dumb. He, like it's, a, it's, if it's an accurate description of somebody, that's yeah. an accurate description. Like, he 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 puts it he he's trying really he wants to make plays he's a playmaker and so that's what playmakers do is they make plays and i think a lot of the times when he gets injured it's because he is he's making he's trying to make a play and i'm the guy who likes it when you make business decisions but know that like as the captain of the defense like don't throw your body around on the sidelines like if the guys if the guy looks like he's going out of bounds maybe just pull up i don't know but that, that seems to be the cadence with him is where he's making plays and that's when he gets injured. And so as uh, hopefully as a junior and with a dedicated safeties coach, like the defensive coordinator is the safeties coach. So hopefully he's able to pick up uh, some smarter ways to use his body and play football. And so I think that for me is my hope is that if he can make it through this season uninjured, uh, and I hope he comes back next year because he'll get you a full season. Can go and do it. Um, but I, I think th- he is, if he can stay healthy, I think he's definitely a guy who could be a conference player of the year. And I think he's obviously was a freshman of the year, even though he got injured partway through that season too. Uh, so if he, I mean, again, we're hoping for, we're over two, but hoping the third, <laughs> third year is the charm where, and again, I think having a Sash as his dedicated coach will go a long way. And as far as the secondary goes, um, I, the secondary is the group on the field where I don't know who's going to end up as a, as the, the first three guys on the field when, when Texas takes on UTEP, but not because of any bad reason, but because all of those guys are so good. Like you see, um, you know, you see Deshaun Jameson, who's probably the mo- one of the most versatile players in the big 12. He was nominated for uh, like the, the versatile player of the year award. I can't remember what player it's named after off the top of my head. Uh, but like, he's a guy who can, make athletic plays. He's, if there's, there's an 
incredible video of him like kind of doing an OBJ like reach back interception. So he's a guy who could be really good. Uh, Chris Addy Moore is another young guy who I think could be really, really good. We got Chris Brown at safety. Uh, it, it's a group where I think whatever group you, you trot out on the field, you've got five guys who are high three or high four and even five star players. And so uh, there's, there's just so much talent there. And, you know, we're still two weeks out from playing football. So the depth chart doesn't necessarily matter. And I think in the big 12, you're going to be rotating guys in and out anyways. So Texas has probably seven or eight guys that would start on most other teams in, in the conference, if not the country. And so I think, um, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I don't have any apprehension with that. Yeah, that's the other thing about Chris Ash's scheme. I wonder if that will put the, the secondary as talented as it is in better situations. Plus, I mean, everyone's in years like three and four now. So you've finally got all these young, talented guys at a point in their careers where you can start to really expect, as long as they stay healthy, i.e. Cade Stearns, to be playing some of their best football, which should be beneficial um, if they're put in better situations than you could argue that were in uh, Todd Orlando. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the thing that, that Ash has talked about anytime he talks to the media is, is just putting our athletes in position to make plays. And when, and anybody that's played any sport knows this, like when you're having to think too much, you're at your worst. When you're in the flow of it, when you're, when you're just playing by instinct, when you're playing by feel, when you can just be out in space and just out athlete. And I'll, I will, and this is probably a controversial statement to say, but defensively, athlete to athlete, I don't know if there's a team in the conference that, that I would pick Texas over. When we're looking at secondary to secondary, I don't know if there's a team in, in the conference that I would say, if it's just who's the most athletic, who's got the best athletes, I don't know if there's a team in the conference I'd pick over Texas in the secondary at least. That's fair. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to – I won't argue against you there. I mean, I think there's some talented – if we're going to athleticism and just overall, like, raw talent, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, I'm not going to get into all that. Okay, so let's talk about the Texas schedule because I think that the Big 12 – I don't want to say the Big 12 set them up well, but I think the schedule sets up well for a team that's trying to break in so much newness in the coaching staff. You get UTEP as your one non-conference game, and they're – I mean, there are more challenging FCS opponents than, than UTEP, um, who I still understand that the Dana Dimmel hire makes zero sense whatsoever, and it's proven to, to do that at this point. Um, road game at Texas Tech to open conference play, uh, which, you know, could be an interest, which would be a nice challenge, but I don't, I don't, I don't know what to expect from Texas Tech. I don't have high expectations. Then you get TCU, who looks like an even better third opponent now with with Max Duggan out for the foreseeable future, all before you get to face Oklahoma uh, in Red River on October 10th. How do you feel looking at the schedule? Because I think the trickiest part is that that middle section with with Baylor at Oklahoma State on Halloween and then West Virginia. Um, Looking at the schedule, how do you feel like would be realistic expectations for Texas coming out of this? So... I think getting TCU, OU, Baylor, and Oklahoma State in the front half of the schedule is good for Texas because I think um, I think game four, I think OU is still going to be figuring some things out, and now we say that, and they figure things out in game negative one, and it's it's a whole thing. But I think get, I would rather get them early than in game ten when Spencer Rattler is fully feeling it. I mm-hmm. think is is probably a, a better way to say that. Um, 
you know, that, that like the OU, Baylor, OSU, West Virginia chunk is, is the scary piece to me. And I think for, I think for a guy like Sam Ellinger and a guy like Tom Herman, who they, they kind of came to Texas together and their goal was to win a conference championship for Texas. I think anything less than, than at least going to Dallas and playing is a failure for them. And so um, I think the games that the games that I have circled on my schedule as my biggest, Oh crap games are obviously OU. I think getting Baylor and Austin is, is helpful. Granted fans don't really matter, but playing in Waco is weird because Waco is a weird town. Oklahoma state scares me. Um, you know, West, West Virginia is an enigma and I don't know what to make of West Virginia. They could be good. They could be really weird. But the, honestly, the thing that scares me the most is if Texas somehow manages to go nine and zero through this schedule, Kansas state and Manhattan to end the season is terrifying. Mm-hmm. If Texas manages to have a nine and zero record going into Manhattan in December, there is nothing that I feel like Kansas State fans enjoy than pissing on a Texas perfect season. I mean, but that still would get you. I mean, yes, that that would be disheartening. But that still gets you a berth in Arlington. It now, does. I have a hard time picking anyone over Lincoln Riley by the end of a season, um, just because no matter what issues you may look at Oklahoma, Best coach I've, I've, I've taken the mindset with Oklahoma of, I will believe they're going to have a down year when I see it as opposed yeah. to both teams where I have to see a good season to believe it with Oklahoma. I will believe that a quarterback's not going to be as good or the team's going to struggle or having to replace, or they're not going to have a great wide receiver on their roster when they don't have one. Absolutely. So twice, I, I won't even believe it once. I'll just believe like that. And that's happened to me twice to believe it actually happened once. And twice in a row, not like once and then five years later. Like it's got to be like two years in a row of like seven and five, and you're like, yeah. all right, something's something's, something's wrong weird. with Norman. Yeah, something's in the water. Um, yeah. So I, Red River is obviously huge. I love that it's still in its normal spot. I, I love that they're still going to play it in Cotton Bowl Stadium. I think that's that's fun, even without fans. I know that like some of the vendors are still going to like show up, which we which we have. To, have they announced fans yet for that game? I don't know. I, I, I the fair is officially canceled, and I don't right. I think there's there, there's going to be this weird like rogue affair that happens because vendors are going to show up and so people are going to show up and big text doesn't ever move and so it's just <laughs> going to like happen and it's gonna be like oh there's a fair happening with random people and then those two weeks later it's going to be this rogue texas state fair led to an outbreak of covid which is absolutely totally predictable in the most texas so you think ever um oh, yeah. it's it's yeah. just it's hilarious to me texas will have to they'll have to move osu texas because texas will be so thoroughly infected that it just you won't even be able to do it um look as an osu fan yeah the game in stillwater against texas it's always going to be it's these games between oklahoma state and texas since tom herman got in, in, in austin have been tight have been close games but we're talking halloween and stillwater halloween night stillwater even if there's not fans Wow. Scary. Uh, love it. Yeah. Love it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think your, your Kansas state, you know, the trap game would be at Kansas. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> the joke's never, I'm never going to, you know, come on. I did TCU too. Don't feel bad. Um, I, and I, I think the biggest thing for, for Texas is that Oklahoma state game is, is a big one. Getting it. I'm not sure if getting it earlier is better than getting it later. Um, but I do think getting Iowa state at home, is big for Texas because if, if that Iowa state was a road game, man, that would be really tough. Now, again, Iowa state followed by a road game at Kansas state's not an easy end to the schedule for Texas. That's back to back. I would think challenging games for different reasons. I would say puts out a good defense. I just, I think this schedule 
and the way it's been moved around works out well for Texas too. I mean, I, I, I if I had to pick two losses, I'd pick, I, I, I could I pick one. I'm going to give you the loss to Oklahoma. I'm sorry. Uh, I realize those games are always like, I think people think that OU blows Texas out every year and they don't. It's always a close game. It has been for a while. I think it will be a close game again. Texas seems to cover since Tom Herman took over. I still think it's a loss, and I I feel like there's one more loss on there. I have a hard time with with the uh, with nine and one for anyone other than maybe Oklahoma. But as long as that other loss isn't at Oklahoma State, I think Texas is in is in Arlington to face Oklahoma for a second time in the Big Twelve Championship. Yeah, I, I think I think like eight and two going to Dallas is, is a fair expectation. I I. I think for me, and this is if Levi is listening, this is going to be mad. <laughs> uh, getting Iowa State Week Nine is is good for Texas because Brock Purdy probably won't be at 100 percent because that guy always gets injured. So I think that um, that guy playing at 80 percent is still better than most of the quarterbacks in the country. But not getting him at his best is still uh, beneficial. I'm not the guy who's like I want to beat every team. At there are two types of people in this world. There are people that like to play teams when they're at full strength and people that like to win and I like to win. And so like, I'm totally fine with it. it, I, I feel for Max Duggan. I feel so bad for Max Duggan, but let's go ahead and pencil that W in. Like it sucks that he's, he's, I'm glad that they found whatever heart issue he has, but like their quarterback is now a guy who was a a walk on at Georgia. Like like advantage Texas. Right. So like, I feel like a terrible person saying it and, Feel free to get my DMs, whatever. I'll block you. But like um, that, like those types of things to me are. are but I, I think eight and two is fair. I again, I like getting Oklahoma week four because I still think. Um, I mean, Spencer Spencer Rattler's an incredible quarterback. He's kind of a, a d bag. If you watch QB one, kind of, he's not the greatest. Per- yeah, I'm not a big fan of his personality, he, but that is just he part makes, and parcel he for makes OU Baker Mayfield look like the kind of guy you want to bring home to mom. Fair. Fair. Go back and go back and listen to. We did a recruiting episode after Quinn Ewers committed to Texas. Go back and listen to uh, Mike Roach of Horns Two Four Seven talk about his feelings on Kyler Murray. It's beautiful. It's we have a no cussing rule on our our podcast, and we let Mike cuss because he was talking about Kyler Murray. So whole another whole another situation. Um, hmm. But like I, it's um, eight and two in, a, in an appearance of the Big Twelve Championship, and it's hard to beat the same team twice in a year. It's yeah. so hard to be the same team twice in a year. And so if Texas goes one and one with OU, I'd rather it be the one in Jerry world than yeah. the one in Dallas, much unlike mm-hmm. it was two years ago. So if it's eight, if, if Texas ends, ends the season nine and two and gets to hoist the championship trophy, then I'll, I'll let the gold hat sit in Norman for a year. And Texas fans may be mad at me about that, but I'll take the hardware that actually goes in the trophy room. Like I'll take the hardware. I will fight like, I wrote an article about this. Sam, if Sam Ellinger had the opportunity to break Colt McCoy's like unbreakable record with a 13 game season, Sam Ellinger would be, have a puncher's chance at it. Now that Texas is only guaranteed 10 games, that's not going to happen. And in being, being second to Colt McCoy in the record books is not bad. Colt McCoy is no. one of the two greatest quarterbacks to ever walk on the 40 acres. Right. But it sucks that a guy who's kind of bled burnt orange since the day he walked on campus is missing out on his opportunity to at least make it a fun season and go into a bowl game and be like, if Sam has a record setting day today, he could pass Colt McCoy, right? That would be super fun to see for a guy like Sam Ellinger. So his legacy then becomes, can I knock off OU? 
can I stop the unstoppable OU? Because, like, as a Texas fan, I, I like you have to be able to say this. OU has owned the conference since its inception. Like, for the last what quarter century that the Big Twelve has existed, it's been OU's conference. And now, granted, that's because for a while Mac Brown couldn't beat Bob Stoops, and a, a kind of book ended his career with that, right? And yep. Charlie Strong ran the program into the ground because whole nother conversation cupboard was super bare when he got here whole nother conversation but um you know the, the the legacy for sam then becomes can i can i bring texas back can i because i think winning a conference championship i you can make all your is texas back jokes you're damn right they are oh look if they can if they can end ou's run of big 12 titles we will all quit the joke we'll all drop the we'll drop the joke will be over we will, we will say Texas is back, and we won't. No one will have to say it anymore. That would almost be the best thing. I would almost like Texas to win the Big Twelve title and end OU streak, just so we can stop saying Texas like they're back. Okay, we don't have to say it anymore because they are. Like we don't need to keep saying it three years from now. Like we, let's just let's just get that out of the lexicon and be done with it. That would be a nice thing to have. Um, so we're gonna talk. Let's just wrap this up. And talk a little Tom Herman. Um, I, I think at this point, if this were a regular season his seat temperature would be pretty hot. You don't make the moves with the coaching staff you do unless you're feeling a little bit desperate. And we could justify the moves and say that they were the right moves, but still flushing your entire coaching staff and bringing in all new guys is a, is a look of desperation. And if it doesn't work, well, then it's, it's obviously you're the problem. It's not the guys on staff with you. But in a year like this, weird season, you know there's going to probably be at least one game canceled. There's going to be disruptions. Kids are going to get sick. You're going to have games that get moved or delayed or whatever. Um, and everyone is financially hurting, even Texas with all their money. It feels like barring a just complete like two and eight shitter, Tom Herman is back for another season next year. So, Does that okay. benefit? And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, please. But to me, do you think that that benefits him from the standpoint of there's almost a little bit of relief of he should be safe this season because of everything going on? So I'm going to say this might be this this is probably the most controversial thing I'll say all night. But more of the Tom Herman is on the hot seat talk is coming from outside of the Texas circle. There's not a lot of like the Tom Herman's on the hot seat talk from any Texas media. There's not like nobody's asking him questions about it in pressers like it's not really a thing for a lot of texas fans a lot of texas media and a lot of people that cover the program and so like matt liner can say whatever he wants about it but internally and, and from the people that are in the know there's not a whole lot of like pressure on herman i think especially because a lot of people feel like he killed it on a lot of his staff hires and so i think that um there are a lot of people that are fairly confident that he made the right moves and so i think even without the COVID season, again, obviously, if, if he craps the bed and or seven and five again, I think the temperature of Tom Herman's seat at this point is probably like, this is something I happened recently. My, I, I hadn't been in my car in a while and, and I realized that I left the seat warmers on. And so it's like uncomfortable and you're trying to figure out like, why is, like, why is my backside warm? Like what's going on here? Oh, my seat warmers are still on. I think that's about, at least from, from my vantage point, as hot as the seat and I've been accused of being a sunshine pumper before, but like, there's just not a whole lot of talk from people that I trust their opinions that, that Tom Herman's in danger. Now we all know that like 
you've got to show progress this year. I think if they don't show progress, I think another, you know, another four loss season next year, the, it, I think, I think Tom Herman's seat will go from zero to 60. If things start to get shaky, that's, that's, I think my estimation is it goes from, this is tepid to like, this thing is on fire real, real fast. Like if you, like if you come out of that, that TCU, OU, Baylor, Oklahoma state run and go one and three, then we're having conversations. But if you, if you go three and one in that run, I think you're doing fine. I think it's fair. I also think, you know, landing Quinn Ewers buys him a lot of grace, a lot of good grace. Now I think a lot of that kind should go to Mike Yersich. Um Yes. I think he's a re, let me say this. One oh, thing about him at Oklahoma, one of those things about Oklahoma State, he did a good job landing both Mason Rudolph and Spencer Sanders. He crapped the bed outside of that totally, completely. They had a, the reason Taylor Cornelius was the starter for years because they literally couldn't couldn't recruit a quarterback uh, for a while. So it is, it's very much a like, yours so far is very much like a, he either gets his guy and good and it's good. Congrats, it's going to be fun. Or you go a few years now. He shouldn't have to worry about that at Texas nearly as much because it should be fairly easy for Texas to find themselves a nice quarterback. That's it's a benefit of being at Texas. But I will say this: when Yurcich finds his guy and gets his guy, I mean, you saw what he did with with Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State. I mean, I I think the Ewers, and again, I think the Yurcich hire works for Herman, and partly because of this, I think the Ewers. Uh, landing Ewers buys Herman some good grace as well because, hey, we've got this guy coming in who we all think is going to be the next savior of Texas. Yeah, and, and I think, one, like all of the credit for landing um, landing Quinn Ewers goes to Mike Yersich. Like that's, and I think a lot of the credit for losing Jalen Milrow in the 21 class goes to Mike Yersich because, well, he said in his decommitment, I know I wasn't your guy, but you still decided to build a relationship with me. So that like Yersich came in and immediately offered two other quarterbacks. So whatever way to to scuttle that one, but whatever, it's fine. I'm not bitter about it at all. Um, I think that the, I think the Yersich hired and, and the recruiting success now, now OU is completely whipping Texas in the 21 class. And that's, a whole nother conversation. Herb Hand got his behind handed to him uh, by OU. And, and that's, again, a whole nother conversation. But um, we have a lot of other conversations that apparently we need to have on this pod. It's, there's just there's just all sorts of other things like out in the ether. That's like, oh, here's another subplot that like Herb Hand completely struck out on like all of the top in, uh, in-state offensive linemen like Savion Bird, Bryce Foster, the Brocker Myers all gone. Like two are going to OU. The Brocker Myers are going to Alabama. Uh, I love, I love, love, love Hayden Connor, but um, Hayden Connor was coming to Texas because, well, when he got his offer, he didn't just tag Tom Herman and Herb Hand. He tagged Texas Aerospace in his tweet for it. So like he's coming to Texas to get an aerospace degree and maybe play a little football. Um, but like the the hiring of Yersich and bringing in, um, bringing in Quinn Ewers, in a couple of years is, is great. But I really think like what's going to buy Herman and the staff time is what, what your can do with whoever's the quarterback next year. Um, because there's a lot of reports that Hudson card could quite possibly 
like he's the number two in name only or basically without the spot, right? Like you, you put Casey Thompson as your number two to keep that guy from transferring, but with the game on the line, Hudson cards, probably the guy trotting out there and he's just looked really, really impressive. And so I think your coming in and being able to flip that offense um, and just be more explosive. There was when Brendan Eagles had like an 80 yard touchdown early in the season last year, it had been like, 15 or 16 games since Texas had a play longer than 40 yards. And so I think like Yersich bringing some more explosivity to the offense. And one of the things I think that, that people overlook about the Yersich hire because they think about Rudolph throwing for 5,000 yards is that Mike Yersich basically runs the ball like 48% of the time. Like Mm -hmm. he's not, he's Mm -hmm. not the guy who's, he's not Mike Leach who's going to throw it. 80 90 times no no he's not like he's he's gonna run the ball now it's gonna be out of some interesting sets he's gonna have two backs and a, and a tight end in the backfield and he's gonna do some interesting things you know there's gonna be three run options and then a pass but like that's what's gonna bring texas i think an advantage because we still don't know who the, the starting wide receivers are gonna be you know troy troy O'Meary was gonna be a guy who uh was probably the number one receiver but he uh, is out for the season with torn ACL. So we're still trying to sort through who the wide receivers are. And so knowing that you can run a two back set with Keontae Ingram and Roshan Johnson or Keontae Ingram and Bijan Robinson going to go a long way for this offense. Yeah. Now look, I mean, this is the thing that everybody thinks about, you know, the, the 15, 16, 17 season and I had to make it an off run game out of nothing for Oklahoma state, but like he got it from Gundy. It it's, Gundy's dream season. What year was it? They literally had exactly like fifty percent run. Like the offense was exactly like half the same number of yards passing as it was rushing. And I thought it's like I think Gundy probably like had that crocheted and mounted on his wall somewhere because he just looked at it and loves it so much. But I think Yurcich has a very similar philosophy. They want to they want to go deep. They want to throw it. You like go look at all the great Rudolph to Washington plays, and you're like, ooh, it's exciting. You would expect some of that from Ellinger to, to Eagles, but. They run the ball. They like to run the ball, and, and, and Yurcich does. So having good running backs and having a deep running backfield, you're going to get those guys out there. And if any of them can cat, patch, cat, or, uh, pass catch, yep, well, and, they're going to have a chance to. And how many of those were set up by a run option to one of the best running backs in the conference those years, right? Like how many of those were set up because a linebacker or a corner has to play a little closer to the line because, oh, they handed off to this guy and he could run right by me. So there, there's, there's that point of your city's offense as well, where a legitimate running threat, and it's, it's like football 101, right? A legitimate running threat makes the defense play tighter. And so then a guy like Brennan Eagles can run right by a cornerback and find that spot between the safety and the, and the cornerback. And so, or you've got a guy like, you know, Jake Smith or, or Jordan Whittington, who's playing out of that slot position and you match them up with a, with a linebacker or a nickelback who's a little bit slower and they, they, they're off to the races. And so, um, there's, there's a lot to be said, and I think there's a lot of upside that could come from this offense, but could is doing a lot of work in that sense. Yeah. All right, Gerald, we've kept you long enough. I appreciate you joining us tonight. I don't typically talk about Texas this much. I think they get enough play, but, you know, it's fine. You guys have your own network. You don't, you don't need a lot of time on my show. So we'll talk Iowa State because they're so sad and they just love to be talked about. And then they all like, like me. Um <laughs> Gerald, it's always a good time to have you on here, man. I, I love it. Uh, do me a favor, but if everybody wants to check out the work you do cover in Texas, uh, where can they do so? Uh, you can follow me on my podcast is The Longhorn Republic. You can actually just search for Burn Orange Nation in your podcast feed. You'll find us there. Um, I write for Burn Orange Nation as well. And then you can follow us on Twitter at Pod. 
I'm still like to this day, four years in, surprised that that was still available when we into like how in 2017, four seasons, I was not available. Like it's fine, you all just suck and missed out on that. Um, I'm way, I'm gonna be honest, I'm way less funny on my own pod because I'm the host, so like the host has to be like the stoic guy. So I like coming on your show, Philip, because I get to like cut loose a little bit. We literally say the same thing when we go on each other's pods of like, I'm so much more like try to be reserved on my show. And then I come on yours and I'm just like, baha, let me just be a wackadoo. <laughs> wackadoo is a good verb, a term. I Thank like you. that. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to use better words, but again. Babies. Babies. Uh, Gerald, uh, we'll talk to you again at some point this season. Appreciate it again. Thanks a lot. Podcast Network.